Hi, I'm Chris Marie. I'm so glad you're listening. In conflict, do you ever walk on eggshells, avoid sharing your honest opinion, or even hesitate to say no? Well, no more. Susan and I created a speak up kit just for you. It's an easy to use, proven step-by-step process to find your voice and reduce your stress. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash S-P-E-A-K-U-P. Hi, this is Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we're going to talk about the discipline of smart and healthy. And just that reference comes from the work with Pat Lencioni. He has the four disciplines of organizational health. But why this is even coming up for us is we are engaged with our partner, GetRally at GetRally.com to develop our content around conflict. And they call it a journey because you're going on this learning journey to learn about, well, in our case, conflict. So we've been developing all that content and we're working with clients and we often we're finding because we're everybody now wants to meet in person. So we have a lot of work, which is a good problem Mm -hmm. to have. But a lot of these leaders of organizations, they're like, hey, we did the Pat Lencioni. We've got the organizational framework. Why isn't it working like one and done? And they're missing that they are leading a living, breathing organization full of 200 people, 100 people that constantly need to be connected to and brought along and gotten feedback from. They think, oh, I've checked that box. How come it's not working? That's the word discipline. (laughs) (laughs) And really, it is we always say this when we're working with teams, and we know from our work with Pat, he talks about this, that- Pat Lencioni. Yeah, it's not a one and done thing. There's a lot that can happen in a two-day offsite or even on a, getting a team on a regular rhythm to become cohesive. But there's also a discipline that goes into it that is meaning, in my mind, discipline. It's not always fun. It's like the discipline of exercise. I know. You know, you have to just become a marathon runner. You actually have to, to commit to running regularly. And sometimes running sucks. Same thing with rowing. I wasn't an <laughs> Olympic athlete. And it took me six years of every day training and mostly twice a day to actually get there. There's a lot of elements to this idea of discipline. Now, why don't you share a little bit about the four disciplines that Pat talks about? So these are four disciplines that we take our clients through. The first is to build a cohesive team. And that's based on the five dysfunctions. You need to develop vulnerability-based trust, learn how to deal with conflict, get to commitment, hold each other accountable for behaviors, and build collective goals and move forward on those. That's the first discipline. The second discipline is create organizational clarity. And that's based on six key questions. Why do we exist beyond making money? What do we do? Simple, non-sexy description of what we actually do. How will we behave? That's the core values. Not who you want to be, but actually the best of who you actually are. How will we be successful? Which is really figuring out your strategic anchors. What are the, these are usually three different things that really create the playing field for your business. What's most important right now, which is your short-term collective goal that creates a sense of forced urgency in the organization, and then clarity around who does what. Now you think, okay, that's the second discipline. I'll go through all four. The third one is over-communicating. 
So that's the leadership team cascading their messages over and over again down to their teams, down to the next level, on and on, and also gathering the feedback up and readjusting. And then finally, the fourth discipline is building human systems that reinforce that clarity. And so often, especially in organizations, people say, hey, we need a performance management system. They're trying to build a human system before any of this upfront work has happened. And here's the thing. Also, over time, we've learned, even if you do the upfront work, it's not like it's one and done. And that's related to everything from build a cohesive team. So many, often, what can happen when you set up and you're committed to having an A-team as a leadership group, you kind of, it's kind of like a relationship where you think, okay, we're really cooking and we've got this, but it's not, it is like a relationship. It is a relationship. It is a relationship. (laughs) Things get ugly, messy. We make mistakes. We step on each other's toes. We want different things. And just like when we talk about in relationships, smooth is not best. You actually are going to naturally, if you have a live living organism, which is a team of people working together, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be accidents. There's going to be a need to constantly address. Are we cohesive? Where where might we have lost ourselves a little bit? And that's where we teach our clients the check out your story because so often, and this happens over again, just with our little mini team of you and me, Susan, where Susan does something and I interpret it as, oh my gosh, she's disrespecting me or putting me down or trying to control me, whatever it is that I think. If I stay stuck in that story, I'm definitely going to treat you differently and behave. I'm going to start to become more selfish because I think I can't trust you. I'm going to take care of my own work, not yours. That's with a two-person team. And so it's so crucial to actually, was it your intention to insult me when you cut me off or didn't actually acknowledge my presentation, whatever it is. And teams that don't do that start to really take care of themselves individually or their groups. And then you add some more economic stress in there. People really get basically more selfish. We get more self-focused. Stop caring about why we exist or what's most important right now, this goal that we're working on together. And so that's where the discipline really needs to come back in. And I I was just even talking to a client this week about if your team is having a cohesive moment of angst, like you're not cohesive. (laughs) You mean they all agree they're not cohesive? It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you've made a mistake. It just means that's actually great that you became aware of it. And then that's the great time to buy it, discuss it. Don't think of it as a problem. Same thing we always say to people about conflict. Conflict is not the problem. It's just an opportunity. It's the same when your team, you realize, oh, we're not cohesive anymore. We've gotten into ruts or we're in silos. We're not communicating altogether. We have a lot of one-off conversation. That's just a great time to come together and say, what is going on? And look at it as great, we became aware of this. I do think people, myself included, have believed at times that unless we're perfect, we're failing. And that is such an inhumane way of looking at a very humane person or a group of people. And I mean, we're talking about when we were talking about you, Susan, and I as a team and a relationship, we're both, how complex that is. Usually teams are six, eight, 10 people That's a lot of variables, a lot of places where 
we can step on each other's toes and inadvertently insult each other. And it's so it's a, it seems like, well, why do we have some, I, have, I coach one client and he's like, why do we have to care about this? You know, I'm willing to hang in with my wife. I've committed there, but I've never really thought about that at work, implying that, hey, these people are disposable to me. I don't really want to invest. We are asking when we're working with a executive team or project team for this project or for this company, you do want to invest. You don't want to treat these people like they're disposable. And it's not, of course, you're going to have moments where you want other life is happening. <laughs> and that's actually the beauty of a team, When, if you really have a team, is when one player is off the grid for whatever reason, got issues at home, dealing with some challenge or whatever else, the rest of the team can pick that up and can actually handle that. And because they're aligned and cohesive, that person doesn't have to be all in. So this is about how do you, how resilient are you as a team to coming back to cohesion? And I say that, so that's actually a discipline. It's not a given. Yeah. It's not something that you get to and okay, we were an A team and now we're breaking the rules. And it's like, okay, you're breaking the rules. You're not cohesive. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Don't make it a problem. Recommit. Yeah. Well, recognize it as a human place that you're going to get to. And the other thing that can happen is what starts to happen is people start to think, oh, this one player is really the problem. If we could get rid of Ted, Ted's really the issue. And then they start talking about Ted behind Ted's back. And so now, even in the brain, the reticular activating system starts to only look at for like the mistakes Ted is making or the problem Ted is. And so there's this case that's building against Ted. Nobody's talking to him directly. Nobody's checking out their stories. So Ted has no idea, nor has an ability to recover. And then so let's say, okay, we're going to fire Ted's off the team. Well, you know what? They're still, you're still the same team. And you're not, just because Ted's gone doesn't mean everything is going to be great. You're still having the same behaviors. So don't make the mistake of thinking one person is the problem. And I mean, we talk a lot about the A team, the first team, and we do believe that is the team. Your first team is the team you're a member of. And meaning you really want to prioritize alignment or getting clear with that team because it's kind of like parents in a family. If the, you want the parents aligned so the kids know, hey, mom and dad are saying the same thing. Same thing with in a business situation. The leader of that team is responsible for ensuring that there's the opportunity to keep addressing that. But as a member of a team, if you lead another group of people, it's your job to make sure your next level is also willing to commit to being a one team for them. Because that's their A team. (laughs) And not to separate yourself from that. We've seen a lot of leadership teams get caught because they don't actually take what they've learned and had to work hard to get to and know how to roll that out, whether it's to the next layer of the organization or across cross-functional teams. But that is an important aspect and a discipline that is required for it to be successful. Yeah. Too often people think, oh, the executive team is the A team, and then there's the B team, the C team, the D team, and that's not how it is. Any team you're a member of is your A team, no matter where you are in the organization. It just means, hey, you want to prioritize alignment with your peers, Mm -hmm. not the team that you lead. Because when you're aligned with your peers, you're going to be much clearer with the team you lead, and so are your peers. And then everybody else on that other on, on those levels are going to are going to hear the same thing. So there's alignment across the organization. So that's kind of 
a bigger, broader way of thinking about building a cohesive team, not just one A team all the way at the top of the organization, <laughs> but you know, multiple teams where you're members of and constantly thinking about the cohesion of those teams, even if you're matrix across multiple teams. Yeah. You have, that's, and then the next piece is this idea of organizational clarity. And we talked about it from the high level of an organization, really the same for a project team, for a functional team, looking at why do we Oh, well, well, even focus on building your team dynamics, building a cohesive team, and then getting clear on why do we exist? What are we going to do? How are we going to behave? How will we be successful? What's most important right now? What are our short-term goals? Who does what? All of that needs to be defined on a project team. And, and then over-communicating. It, well, it needs to be defined. And then it needs, that doesn't make it something <laughs> that gets put on the wall or in a binder or we said this, it's it's alive. It's an orgas- orgasm. No. Okay. Now we're going to get an explicit waiting for our podcast. But anyway. An organism. Yes. <laughs> and that means that you cannot just let it ride as you have to keep coming back. How are we? Is it? Is this still the right pieces? Now, some pieces are easier and more are going to stay longer, but other things you have to keep how are we doing around our behavioral norms? And what are we doing around our success anchors? And I think one of the things that I, in coaching leaders, I see is they forget that a big part of their discipline, the discipline of their job is actually remembering that they are leading other human beings (laughs) and a whole organization of other human beings that have their own desires, their own fears, unless you're connecting with them, hearing their feedback, educating them on, hey, we want to go this direction. This is why it's important. Like that's the job of you is to bring all these people along, which in this remote environment, I think, or if you're still working remotely, that is a bigger challenge because it's harder to bring everybody together Mm. and hash that through. That's part of the discipline is figuring out, not just getting your spreadsheets done or your PowerPoint done, you know, that's important to your job, but as a leader, I'd say a bigger part of your job is bringing the people along, connecting to them and figuring out how that's happening. And being willing to look at what's working, what's not, and hear things that you may not want to hear and be able to let people talk about the pain points without thinking that means you're failing. But to use that as like, oh, okay, I'm getting feedback. Okay. That can, and it's not a, Yeah, I'd be the first to admit, it's not always easy to hear feedback. And so you have your own sense of like, how do I take this in? Because it's probably really helpful. helpful. Another piece that a barrier that we've seen in different clients is they have this desire for speed. We're going to get this defined and we're going to drive with our KPIs and OKRs. We're going to drive fast. And that is, we're going to get to the IPO or we're going to get to that place where we can sell the business. It's not bad that you have that goal, but what starts to happen is this speed piece really overshadows the human piece. And it it creates all this things should go in a straight line thinking. And what it can create is survival thinking, like I'll, we'll only be okay once we cross that finish line. And so the process gets missed. That discipline of the process gets missed. And it seems like black and white, linear, logical, which is not what you're doing when you're dealing with humans who are tasked with trying to solve a problem. I would add to your linear, logical, transactional, because yeah. so often that's actually how it shows up in the relational world mm-hmm. is a series of transactions. We have our technical meeting. 
just because you had it and checked off all your boxes and fit it into the 10 minute time you had to talk about this does not mean you had a healthy meeting. And so was it the right things you talked about? Was it, did people feel like they were engaged and added value and their perspective was considered? Did you notice when people started to opt out and actually backed up and mined for conflict? Like what is going on? Mary, can you give us your point of view? It sounds like you're not, I'm thinking you're not bought in on this. Being willing to slow down, which will actually in the end help you go faster because this desire for speed really doesn't create health in the organization and it really causes more problems that require you to back up, redesign, spend, do rework versus if you slow down when you're hitting the bumps and say, hey, what's going on? How are we going to figure this out? you'll bring people along. And we've been talking a lot about the organizational clarity, but I think it ties right into the over-communicating because I think over-communicating does have something to do with not just over-communicating transactionally, but actually bringing in a realness to that level of communication, doing it in different ways, understanding I mean, this isn't how it was initially introduced to me, but I think of this as also recognizing people have different styles, different ways in which they need to be involved. Some people, we are virtual now and some people love it. Some people don't. How do you keep those elements and continue to communicate so that people will get the information they need? I think so often this over-communication, you think, okay, I'm just going to tell you once and you're going to go do it. And One, you probably telling people once, you may not even have their attention, much less helping them understand and then get behind and then figure out how to act on that. That's like a six or seven, and anyone in marketing will say, people need to hear things over and in different ways, like you're saying, Susan, as a way of helping integrate that information. And again, we think it's a transaction. Mm -hmm. I told you to do this. Why isn't it happening? I just think a lot of speedsters out there aren't doing the discipline, the practice over and over again. And so they're in essence abdicating their own leadership responsibility and then blaming the organization. I was just talking another situation in which I was coaching. I was talking to someone where they were realizing that they have an issue with another one of their executive team members. And the biggest thing for them is that this other member doesn't banter, doesn't like to do the thought ideas. And we were talking about this and I actually recommended that they go back and look at their Myers-Briggs type. And it was funny because we're looking, this person was an INTJ. And the thing they hate the most is when they just get told to do something. <laughs> and they that is just not a good way to work with an INTJ. And they need to have the conversation about why, they need to feel like they can understand it than influence. They just need to know that they understand it. Okay. And which is interesting because the person as we work, because this is a team we've worked with, we happen to know the other person's Myers-Briggs type, which was a type that really takes it personally if they don't feel understood. So it was like, okay, it was just like an eye-opening experience for this person to go back to how even styles come into play around something like that. But it, it can be so easy to feel like, well, we've already had done the Myers-Briggs type and forget about this. Even the <laughs> things you have in your tool bag to go back to, to remember, to bring life to these 
people, not these transactions in this experience. Well, to shift them from transactions to make them more yeah. relational. That's the opposite or the, not the opposite, but the expansion of transaction is relational. Like, oh, I see you as another mm-hmm. person. No wonder we're bumping. You want to understand why. And I think anytime you ask me a question, you're actually insulting me. So this comes up for us. <laughs> I was not talking about us, but it is an aspect of what goes on between us. So, right. you know, now, and in the end, this is where it really, you can begin to have build systems that are effective. And human systems, you may not be thinking of this, but a big part of the human system things is your meetings. Yes. And, and the rhythm of how you communicate. And we talked about that in, in the podcast last time around, they're the playing field of an organization. You cannot decide not to have meetings. I know some <laughs> people have thinking that and they're, how could we get rid of them? But meetings are the playing field. And so often, <laughs> especially in a virtual world, it's hard not to have meetings because you're not bumping into people down at the cafeteria or around mm-hmm. the water cooler and the co- getting your coffee. So you do need to have meetings. And the whole thing, one of the the things that you can do is start to do a meeting evaluation short. Don't spend a lot of time, but how at the end of your meetings, and we talked about this, was it valuable? Was I engaged? Did I get what I needed? And to do a self-check, to do what you can do, a scale, whatever, as a way of taking responsibility for influencing the meetings you're in, even if you're not leading the meeting, so that you actually own up to your own participation. If you're sitting there bored, and it's not helpful for you not to say anything, you're complicit. Again, it's that discipline of learning to speak up and saying, hey, what problem are we trying to solve? Do we have the right people here? Is this the best time to do this? All of those questions, if you're having those doubts, to find your voice and influence in that moment so that you're getting the type of meeting engagement that you think is most helpful. And comes back to that word discipline, which can so often sound like something, but the big thing for me that I keep taking away as we've talked about this is like, it's kind of like the discipline to own my gossip. It's not the discipline to never gossip. That's actually ridiculous. I'm going to talk about people, but can I own what I do? It's not the discipline to never have problems on the A-team. It's the discipline to talk about what it is. I just want to give you a little commercial for gossip. If you're talking to somebody about somebody else, and you wouldn't actually say that directly to the person, that's really toxic gossip. You really need to find a way to clean that up and go back and have some form of that conversation with that person, because otherwise you're creating that silo behavior, factions, politics. And if you're really struggling and you're using somebody to bounce off so that you can go back and talk to that person that you're struggling with, that's great. But just be aware, would you say this directly to the person? Because that's the litmus test for whether gossip is healthy or toxic. And again, just know you're probably going to do some toxic gossip. And this (laughs) is an opportunity to discipline yourself to take care of it. Yes. (laughs) We had a wellness appointment this week and it was like, it's not in diet or health. It's not about never doing things. It's about having the discipline to recognize, oh, I've sort of given myself permission to have tons of carbs. Okay, (laughs) do I want to keep doing that? And so same way, these same things apply in business and in your relationships on teams and in work. I, I think about like the rigidity of I never eat carbs. And I've done diet, I've done times where I've eaten that way. I don't do sugar, I don't do alcohol, I don't do whatever. And then there's this kind of 
and if you don't do alcohol because you can't, that's one thing. But <laughs> the whole idea of having some more flexibility and aliveness, again, this living organism, we're not perfect. We're not black and white. And so being able to engage, fail, recover, notice, all that is a part of the discipline. Okay. All right. We hope you found it helpful. Take, Take care. care. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. We know you're busy and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. 